from the dark web to your radio dial. You are listening to CyberTalk Radio on News 1200 WOAI. Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. You're listening to The Dark Web on the radio dial, a weekly program about cybersecurity and internet computing technology. We're here this week with Omar Kimbaya from DefLogix, and we're going to talk about what's going on in San Antonio for cybersecurity folks, how you want to get involved, what you can do here, and other interesting topics. You can listen to past episodes on iTunes or Pocket Casts or view us on www.cybertalkradio.com. So as I said, our guest this week is Omar Kimbaya from DefLogix. And uh, Omar, welcome to the program. And can you uh, give everyone that's listening out there a little bit of your background? Sure. Thank. First of all, thank you for having me, Brett. Uh, as he said, my name is Omar. I'm the technology evangelist at DefLogix. And my background, I've uh, been in cybersecurity for about two and a half years. And I've been in the San Antonio startup community for about three years. I uh, graduated from UTSA with a degree in English with an emphasis in creative writing. So I am perfectly tuned for the cybersecurity industry. And I was born and raised here in San Antonio. So I am a, a native here. And I'm very happy to be here on CyberTalk Radio. Yeah. So you, you also uh, organize this thing called the CyberDef Dojo. That's right. The CyberDef Dojo is a monthly meetup that we meet every second Wednesday at SecureLogix, and it's sponsored by DefLogix and SecureLogix, as well as O'Reilly Media. So if all you people want out there want to get some cheap O'Reilly books, haul at your boy Omar, just send me an email, cyberdefdojo at gmail.com, and be sure to join the dojo as well. But what we're all about is to develop cybersecure communities, and we do that by uh, learning, hacking, and pitching. So those three things. First of all, learning. We get professionals and people who have skill and knowledge and wisdom within the industry to come by and share that with the rest of the community, first and foremost. Then the hacking part are people with the technical skills to come by and also to share that information and to get people active on these things in order for them to better understand how to defend themselves. If you know how attackers are going to come at you, it helps you better understand how you can defend yourself. It's sort of a martial art, if you will. The pitching part is all about um, helping inspire the entrepreneurship of people within the cybersecurity uh, industry. And uh, we want to make sure that we are able to help people at all ages. So we've had people in high school come by and be part of the dojo and pitch some of the ideas that they've had. We have people that are well into their 60s and potentially 70s, I haven't asked, but they come by and they talk about what they've done in the industry and how they want to mentor and help out the younger people within the industry as well. So uh, we have about 668 members currently, and you can find out more information about us at cyberdefdojo.com. Cool. And you're also on Twitter? That's right. Uh, Cyberdefdojo on Twitter. Yeah. So pretty easy to find there. Mm-hmm. And uh, if that's a good way to, to chat with Omar. Um, I actually ran into him uh, there a few months ago myself. So uh, as we're uh, evolving what we're doing here on CyberTalk Radio, getting to learn uh, more about all of the great things that we've got going on uh, here in San Antonio in a strong, vibrant cybersecurity community. So 
one of the, the things that you talk about um, is that cybersecurity is not just something it's one guy in the basement by themselves, like you're going to learn everything on your own. It's a, kind of a, a team sport. What do you mean by that? So cybersecurity is a team sport. What that really means is that you cannot rely on a single monolithic person to solve all of your problems. Uh, you're a business, you're a large business, you want to take care of your cybersecurity, whatever that means. You hire the guy that says, I know about firewalls. They install our firewall and everyone's peachy, everyone's happy, but you're still getting attacked, you're still getting breached, you're still losing your critical data. So everybody on that specific team needs to be aware of their behaviors online. They need to be aware of what processes exist if a breach does occur. They also need to be aware of how much they should know about the business, uh, what passwords they should have access to, what data they should have access to. And if someone is messing up, if someone's making that mistake, that should be, that should be known and that should be corrected before it becomes a larger problem, before it becomes a habit. So everybody needs to be involved in cybersecurity because cybersecurity is what? It's three specific things, people, processes, and technology. People come first because they are the weakest link. They are the people, they are the part that is most likely to fail in any sort of organization when it comes to security. Processes really help people find that direction when something does go wrong, when something needs to happen in a certain way, that's what that second part is for. And the technology comes last because those things, as smart as they are, cannot be used correctly unless you have the process and the people under, uh, who understand how to use that technology. You can't give everyone an antivirus and they don't know how to update it. Then what is the good is that antivirus? Yeah. And uh, we talk uh, kind of frequently here about that need for security awareness training. And that's one of the goals of CyberTalk Radio here is an hour a week awareness about all sorts of uh, different uh, problems and uh, Top technology topics that uh, you can learn about is like uh, hopefully everyone listening now knows what a drop test is. If you don't, uh, you should listen to Tom Desat on one of our previous episodes, and uh, you'll never pick up a USB stick off the ground again. Uh, so, going through from this this team sport perspective, though, if I'm a small business, like how do I have a team? What do I do in that type of market? Can I be as a small business owner um, or an employee at a small business? How do I help my company out? As a person, the best thing that you can do is get educated. So first and foremost, the culture of security, the culture of keeping your business secure starts from the, the leader, essentially. The leader determines where the culture is gonna go and where the business is going to go. So the, the, the boss, the manager, the administrator, whatever the, that person, whatever their title is, they have to be able to understand what is it best, most important about their business. If they are gonna lose one thing tomorrow that's gonna to shut business down. What is that one thing? And how do we protect that one thing? So there's plenty of resources online. So NIST, National Institute of Science and Technology, uh, that have specific standards for people to follow. So if you're a small business and you deal with patient data, you, you deal in the healthcare industry, uh, well, you have to follow HIPAA compliance. And a lot of red team guys, and red team being are the people who will break into systems and, and test the uh, security level of a specific organization or building, what have you, because 
uh, security just doesn't involve you know breaking into people's networks. Also involves breaking into people's buildings. You know how easy can I get in there to get physical access to your systems? So red team guys will scoff at compliance. They say, "Great, you checked a box and you're perfectly fine." But compliance really helps the education and the process of an organization uh, to to raise their cybersecurity awareness and their standpoint. So I'm. I'm a big fan of, of compliance. I think that forcing people to be able to uh, reach a certain level of security in their organization not only helps them, but also helps everyone they do business with, including their clients, including their partners, including their larger partners. I mean, how did Target get hacked? It was because of a third party that wasn't taking care of their, of their security. So not just uh, making sure that you're compliant and, and following those, but also being aware of ways that people can get into your business. It's a simple thing as uh, going to a class that there's plenty of classes all over San Antonio, for example, that are for free, that will allow you to learn about phishing campaigns. What is a phishing campaign? How do I defend against it? What do I need to tell people about it? And just having that education really matters. Uh, going to the CyberDev Dojo or even going to one of our security engagement series meetings that we have every quarter. Uh, those are opportunities to connect with other people within the industry and also to ask those sort of questions and to get educated. Because a lot of these things might be too technical, they might be too difficult to understand at first and, and pretty much overwhelming. I mean, I've been in this industry for two and a half years and I'm still learning a lot here. And that's that in and of itself is the uh, status quo. It is the status quo of the cybersecurity cyber industry or even the technology industry. If you stop learning today, you are already behind. Yeah. So that security engagement series that you talked about, this is uh, like the CyberDev Dojo is for folks that really want to dig in, get a little bit deep into right. this. But the security engagement series is an educational series just if I'm a... Uh, working out here in a business and I use a computer on a day-to-day basis, could I go to that security engagement series uh, that's held and would I be able to comprehend the content there and and benefit from it in my business? Yeah, so the security engagement series, uh, the point of that, it's something that we designed in the CyberDev Dojo because we realized that it's great to educate people within the cybersecurity industry or people who want to get into the industry, but what about all those people who don't who don't have that same interest, who aren't in, or don't get excited by PowerShell props or uh, pinging all these different boxes to see if they're alive and, and looking for ports for entry or, uh, you know, or defending and hardening systems. Not everyone's into that. And we understand, you know, it's, it's not their fault. They're not as cool as the rest of us. But for those who uh, want to focus on their mission statements and their, and their businesses, we want to give them the opportunity to learn more about that. So security engagement series is geared towards small to medium business owners. And that means the content is going to be geared towards them. Our first event happened in October and we had Tom Irvin of the FBI come in and talk about ransomware. The whole event was dedicated to ransomware, which we were talking before the show a little bit about. And after that talk, uh, he did an overview of what ransomware was and how it can get to you and what it does to you and, and what to do if it happens to you. Because a lot of people say, well, if it happens to me, what do I do about it? Afterwards, we had a panel discussion with Gordon McKee, who's the CTO of Digital Defense, 
David Newman, who is the Senior Director of Information Security at Rackspace, and Jeff Rich, who is the CSO of Barricade.io, which is a security company that came out of uh, Ireland. He basically is the U.S. presence here, but Barricade was recently uh, purchased, uh, so he's no longer the CSO, but he's you know top-notch security guy here locally. And a lot of the questions that people were asking about ransomware, they wanted to get a little bit more clarification on what the feature presentation was with Tom. And that was really great because how often are you able to get those questions answered? Sure, I go to this this talk and I'm, I'm listening to this guy, he's telling me all this information, but you know what? I need to find a little bit more clarity on this. Let me get a second opinion about this. And I had three people there who were more than willing to do it. And I'm very thankful for all four of the presenters there because they're really doing a great service to the San Antonio community, the greater business community here. Our next um, security engagement series is going to happen in January. And our focus with that one is gonna be on the internet of things. And that's very relevant because at the end of October of 2016, there was a massive uh, distributed denial of service attack against the Dine, against Dine which is a, a DNS provider. And that was propagated uh, through the Internet of Things. A lot of devices that traditionally were not connected to the Internet, that now are connected to the Internet, that did not have the proper uh, security boundaries between you know, them and the outside oh, internet. They had a hard-coded password in their firmware. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, maybe after the, the break, we may dig into firmware security a little bit more yeah. uh, on this program. But yeah, I mean, those were horribly designed Internet of Things devices for sure. Yeah. And a lot of them were DVRs. And, and normally you wouldn't think, you know, DVR, what, what can that do? But how often do you patch your DVRs? How often do you even restart your DVRs? I mean, one of the, the pieces of malware out there that was living in the RAM of those, of those DVRs, and that just basically sent a whole bunch of traffic in one direction and basically shut down a lot of the major sites that all of us use every single day. So understanding what the Internet of Things is and understanding what the security risks along with those. So if you're a small business and you are actually building Internet of Things or you're using the Internet of Things within your business, you have to understand that these things are vulnerabilities because you don't know much that, uh, much about them. I've heard stories about uh, baby monitors, for example, that you buy a baby monitor and uh, you register the account, you register the device to that specific account. You're like, I don't like this baby monitor anymore. You return it. Then, just as curiosity's sake, you go ahead and log into your account again after you return it, and you realize you're watching someone else's baby, or you're watching you know, however that baby, yeah. however else that baby monitor is used, and that's because that device uh, was registered with that specific account, and it wasn't cleared out, it wasn't uh, garbage was not collected very well, and now you're able to watch somebody else, and the same thing happens with those doorbells too. Uh, and it's 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 pretty nuts. I mean, for sure. Yeah. So if if you happen to have an internet connected security camera in your house or the baby monitor in your uh, child's room, um, there's actually sites out there on the internet where hacked cameras uh, are available for people to pay by the hour, or pay by the minute, and watch you inside your house or watch your baby sleeping in its bedroom. 
Uh, if you don't want that to be your house on that site, uh, you should uh, show up at that security engagement series in January and uh, learn what you can do uh, to defend yourself uh, against these folks out there that are looking to do evil online and, and profit from it. You're listening to 1200 WAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio. So after the break at the bottom of the hour, we're going to dive into uh, firmware security and security around some things that people probably don't think about securing as much as they need to. Uh, for those listening out there, can you, uh, Omar, go ahead and go through and explain what the heck even is firmware? And we mentioned a little bit in the Internet of Things, but do I have firmware on my computer? Absolutely. So firmware, the easiest way to talk about firmware is firmware is software first and foremost but it's different than where regular software lives. So you're gonna have an operating system. Operating system is software that lives in your hard drive. And you have you know, Microsoft Word, Google Chrome, all that is software lives in your hard drive. Firmware is the software for your hardware. And that's what helps your hardware communicate with your software. So it's kind of a layer between your software and your hardware. So it's like software that sits on my, my computer's like main board and it does uh, stuff to, to boot the, the thing up to connect the, the CPU chip to the hard drive? That's right. It, uh, it'll help direct traffic from one place to another. So if you are making, let's see you have like your mouse, right? Your mouse is gonna have firmware because it's gonna have to have a way for it to, to communicate with the hardware that it's plugged into, right? So you have your mouse, your keyboard, plugged into your computer. Your computer is a collection of parts, a CPU, a motherboard, uh, RAM, which is just memory, and your hard drive. And the firmware is what helps all those pieces communicate with uh, each other. So I'm making a, I'm typing something, and each of those types is what we call a hardware interrupt. So it's saying, I want to send this somewhere else. That's the keyboard firmware saying, I'm sending this somewhere else. And your computer has to be like, okay, I'm receiving that message. What do I do with that? That could be done either an operating system level, but if you're not even in your operating system, if you're in something called your BIOS, your BIOS is essentially your operating system for your motherboard, for your firmware. So what you're telling me is somebody can hack my mouse. <laughs> It's been done. <laughs> so there, there, uh, I was on Twitter the other day because I wanted to be scared. And there was a guy talking about people hacking the firmware in your hard drives. So we're not even talking about like the, the disks or anything like that. We're talking about the software that helps uh, the hardware actually run and people actually putting malware inside of that firmware in the hard drive. So you can clean that hard drive as many times as you want to. You can wipe it. You can zero it out as many times as you want to. That firmware is still there and that malware is still living. And it is very difficult to get out. Yeah. Like you take that hard drive and put it in a shredder and go buy a new hard drive. That's basically what you have to do. It is, it is, a, disease, it is a, a chronic disease. Yeah. And the only way to do it, to get rid of it, is to destroy it with fire. Cool. So uh, after the break, we will, we will be uh, diving into this, uh, the way we handle CyberTalk Radio. The first uh, half of the program, uh, we go through uh, high-level topics, uh, cover things at the, the business user level. 
And in the second half of the program, we dive deeper into some more technical topics. Uh, You can listen to the podcast uh, on iTunes of this episode and past episodes, and they're broken up into those two sections uh, where we'll cover something like uh, the machine learning, or we might cover the Internet of Things. And then we'll dive into some of the more technical security aspects around each of these. So um, today we've talked through the San Antonio Computing Ecosystem. Uh, If you're a cybersecurity and you want to learn more, get more involved in that, you can go hang out at the uh, CyberDef Dojo and uh, get involved in the uh, group that uh, Omar's helped organize and get going. Um, If you're a business owner, you can join their security engagement series and uh, quarterly learn something to keep your business safer than most of the uh, businesses that are out there uh, in the world today. So, uh, Omar, so you uh, said you majored in English in college and decided to get into cybersecurity from there. So what what took you from reading classic uh, Victorian literature into uh, now um, looking at computer parts? When I was in elementary school, this is like one of those stories that every like techie has. Like, well, when I was in middle school, I decided to do computers. And I mean, I wanted to be the job title that I knew of when I was in fifth grade. I remember this was computer specialist. So I go home like, I'm going to be a computer specialist. And no one knew what that meant. And, I was just like, look, look at that salary, though. <laughs> That's really nice. But as I grew up, I realized that I was more in, into the creative side of things. And I wanted to be a teacher. And I wanted to be a teacher overseas. I wanted to do, uh, I wanted to spread the good word about the United States and do it through education, through English education. So uh, the first word that they'll learn is uh, uncle. The second word they learn is Sam. Um, but uh, after college, I went to teach in Korea and I went to teach in, in China, in Shanghai. And... I realized that it wasn't for me. It, it it was fun. It was interesting, you know, learning new cultures and, and learning new languages. That all excited me. But I was really far away from anyone that I knew. And I was really far away from anything that I understood, like, innately. So I came back to San Antonio, and I started working for Apple as a computer salesman. And I already, already knew a lot about computers. I was building computers on my own. I was, you know blowing away and installing, you know, virtual machines here and there and just kind of like experimenting with things, seeing how things work. And, you know, I was, I was pretty good at selling computers because I was able to listen to people. I, I, was, I developed empathy. And that's a really great way of, of you know, making relationships and, and securing sales. After Apple, I started working for startups. And that's where programming really kind of got instilled into me. I worked for uh, Par Level Systems as their director of social media marketing. And uh, the guys who were behind me were the programmers. And that was like fantastic. So I really wanted to get into that. And after that, I worked for Geekdom, got to meet a whole bunch of different entrepreneurs and techies. And then after Geekdom, worked for CodeUp, uh, learned PHP and web development. And they had me teach uh, that content as well to the students. After that, uh, DefLogix uh, decided to hire me because they, this is a true story. I did a presentation at CodeUp for my final project. And the guy said, the guy, my boss, Paul Rivera, says, wow, that guy can do a presentation. I can't do a presentation. I need to hire someone who can do a presentation. So they gave me an offer, I accepted, and I've been at DefLogix ever since. And it's been a roller coaster ride of learning, of uh, understanding the people, the processes and technology within cybersecurity and really making a lot of great contacts here in San Antonio because we are the number two city for cybersecurity. 
Yeah. So uh, Omar mentioned code up there, and I'll go ahead and give a, a good plug out to them. So this is if you go to Google and search for Go Code Up, C O D E U P, it's a way that you can uh, learn computer programming, um, software stack development. Take the uh, education knowledge you have, but learn to then talk to computers because uh, programming is just learning another foreign language. That's right. Um, you just have to be syntactically correct. You need to spell correctly because computers don't deal with spelling errors. So uh, we will uh, break here on Cyber Talk Radio. You've been listening to 1200 WAI. They'll have some news, weather, traffic, and other updates. And we will be back to discuss firmware security and what happens in the deep parts of your computer. Welcome back to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. We're joined this week by Omar Kimbaya with DefLogix, and we're going to talk this half of the hour about securing the hardware that you have and getting below the operating system, the stuff beneath your antivirus. Uh, before the break, we went through uh, some things going on here in San Antonio, the CyberDef Dojo. Uh, you can find that online. If you Google for CyberDef Dojo, it'll come on up. It's a way to get involved uh, with cybersecurity, cybersecurity professionals. Um, and as Omar has proven, you can go from a college English major uh, with a good sense of uh, curiosity and uh, desire to learn these things and get better. Uh, in a few years, uh, you can be one of the guests on our program. So uh, now here, Omar, we're going to dive into uh, some of the uh, firmware things. And so the folks you're, you're working with at uh, DefLogix, uh, you guys have been kind of innovating and, and working in this area. Can you share just a little bit about what DefLogix does and then uh, what kind of drew uh, you guys into to digging into this firmware space some more? Sure. So DefLogix is a uh, cybersecurity research and development company. And we've been around since 2008 doing research and development for the U.S. government. So we've worked with uh, Department of Homeland Security, Department of Defense, uh, DISA as well, and also the Air Force locally. And the, the part we were talking about firmware earlier, that came up from research that we did for the Department of Homeland Security, a project called Hardware Enabled Zero Day Protection. And the problem that we wanted to solve was, okay, how do we defend against zero-day attacks? That's kind of the big picture, right? And as a security person, you're probably telling yourself, well, you, you can't because you can't anticipate 
a, a zero-day attack because a zero-day attack, by definition, is essentially something that you did not see. No one else saw it except for one person who decided to exploit it. And normally how you would handle that is by patching it or you know, fixing the bugs within the code to, to prevent that zero day from happening again. What we did in our research was we looked at firmware and how can we prevent firmware from being exploited? And as we said before, firmware is sort of the layer between your hardware and your software. So if your firmware gets exploited in any sort of fashion, then you are going to be open. Your box is essentially owned. And even if you wipe away your hard drive, you wipe away your, even replace certain components uh, without replacing the motherboard, then you're still going to be owned by somebody else. You will be breached. So how do you defend against that at such a low level? Uh, firmware, we got into that from our research that was uh, sponsored by the Department of Homeland Security on hardware-enabled zero-day protection. That was the name of the project. And as a security expert, you kind of hear zero-day protection. Well, you can't really protect from a zero-day attack because that is a vulnerability that was not known by anyone, but someone found it and exploited it. Now you have, that's the first time that vulnerability was made known and exploited. So they were asking, well, how can you do that at the firmware level? Can you go a level deeper underneath the operating system? So we said, sure, this is our crazy idea. What if we build the equivalent of an antivirus, but in firmware? And as we said before, firmware is the layer between your hardware and your software. So if your, you know, your software is compromised, you just wipe the hard drive and, and you know reinstall Windows or Linux or what have you. But if your firmware is compromised, you just can't like wipe something. Yeah. The only thing you can do is just get rid of the hardware. And that's expensive if you have to do it on a very large scale, especially if you're the US government. Yeah. So the uh, antivirus is software that defends your anti-malware software that defends your computer operating system like windows or the mac os it, right it defends the operating system from bad software but there's like this smaller operating system the firmware stuff that runs beneath that whole big kind of whole computer operating system and you need security software at that level now because attackers are now writing viruses and malware that like actually gets onto the network chip in your computer or gets yeah. onto the hard drive controller like that that chip or into the computer bios uh, i mean i think even there's been some uh, published things uh, out there that have been uh, used at the the nation state level where um different hardware components bios components got infected um with some of the uh, those attacks um, digging in and, and using some of these hardware zero day type uh, attacks to get into the hardware of other other countries and uh, that probably leads to why they hire folks to do that sort of research um, we can't really probably dig into the details of it here on the radio because not everyone is classified including me <laughs> that's right and so the way that we handled this problem the way we approached it was alright so we're going to build the antivirus within firmware uh, but you need to have the operating system, like you said. So what is the operating system of firmware? It's all different. It's all different. But UEFI is becoming a standard across the board. UEFI is 
short for the Unified Extensible Firmware Interface. So just think of it as the operating system of your firmware. And within that operating system, what we've built are a, a series of monitors. And each of these monitors does one thing, you know, Unix philosophy. You build one thing that does, you know, one thing really well. And each of these will be looking at your hardware. Uh, it'll be looking at your files, specific your boot configuration files. Then it's also going to look at vulnerabilities within firmware that exist within firmware that you or a system administration needs to know about. And also it's going to do an anti-malware scan on your NTFS uh, Windows partition, which you know not a lot of people are doing, which is you know being able to read um, the, the Windows partition without Windows running. You know we can do that even before Windows boots up. So your hardware monitor, what that's going to allow you to do is prevent any sort of malicious hardware or unrecognized hardware to be plugged into your computer. So that's going to defend against attacks like the evil maid attack, which is essentially you have a malicious USB stick that you want to boot from, and then you want to install either uh, a, a root kit or a boot kit, or you want to install a whole new operating system, or you want to crack passwords, whatever it is that you want to do, we're going to prevent the computer from even booting up into Windows or Linux because we don't recognize what that USB is. And we're not going to use that USB either. Yeah. So there's no code that's going to be uh, transferred into the firmware. There's nothing that's going to be run. We're going to see it. We're going to stop it. We're going to kill it. And then we're going to, we're going to keep that computer from booting in. So that keeps you safe. It's, it's like locking all your doors and closing all your windows. Nothing is going to see in and nothing's going to come out. But it keeps you safe. Yeah. And the, the firmware uh, folks that make network cards or graphics cards or all these things, they've all uh, kind of said over time that their stuff is secure because they've got their own unique operating system and hackers aren't writing attacks for it. Hackers can't figure it out. Hackers can't reverse engineer it. Um, none of that's true. Um, security by obscurity, security by hiding the things that you do. Um, it works a little bit and it can maybe buy you some time, but it does not um, really secure you from folks that are coming after things. So Windows gets picked on a lot for having all of these viruses and all these these problems. Um, it gets attacked a lot as well because right. of its market share. And in the, the firmware level, um, this unified firmware OS is actually going to make firmware safer over time than having a whole bunch of different ones. It's going to make it easier to patch, update, maintain. It's going to allow... Um, folks like the team at DefLogix to build something that can scan things as they get connected to a computer. So one of the the other attacks we've talked about um, here on the air, as uh, Omar mentioned, uh, Tom Irvin did a, a meeting for uh, the CyberDef Dojo folks at their security engagement series. Um, Tom's got a, a hacking tool that he shows. It's a, a keyboard that looks like a USB stick, looks like a USB little storage thumb drive, it's actually a keyboard that you plug into a computer and it automatically types things for people. Um, and most um, businesses may, like a, that are high security, disable USB storage adapters. So you can't plug a storage device in, but it's a keyboard. And everyone enables USB keyboards to be able to be plugged into a computer because you have to plug one in to type in the computer and use it. Or a USB mouse, you have to be able to allow one to get plugged in because you have to use them. Um, and there hasn't been a good, consistent way to scan and secure to see, is that really a keyboard or is that some evil 
um, hacker tool that's getting plugged into a computer. So uh, this is a, an interesting emerging uh, market and space. And as, as things like Windows, uh, the operating system or the Mac operating system um, get secured better, you're going to see attackers are always moving to the weak spot, to that soft spot, because they only have to find one way in and we have to keep them out uh, from all of the different uh, ways that uh, they can get in. So you're talking about this uh, this UEFI standard, and I mean, I guess I'm seeing this in kind of a new computer. Uh, what if I have a, a computer, I'm a business owner, and it's six years old, five years old, three years old. Do I need to consider planning to replace all of my stuff? Potentially. I mean, if you're using older hardware, using older software, one, you want to keep that as updated as possible. But what we've done at DefLogix is we've created something called the Secure Workstation. And the Secure Workstation has our firmware uh, antivirus system, what we call Shimix. Uh, that's already built in. And we've also gone into Windows configurations and made secure configurations for Windows. And so we've made that incredibly affordable for small and medium business owners. Uh, the base level starts at about $600 and you have a brand new Windows 10 system. Everything included uh, from boot all the way to your operating system runtime, you are protected. So as a business owner, you know, eventually most business owners, you know, get new computers within, you know, five to six years. And that's kind of like the life cycle for them. And there's been a lot of updates in, in terms of uh, hardware as well. Hardware is becoming more faster. It's, it's getting smaller. And it's, it's really running a lot cooler too, which you know, allows for it to get a lot smaller. And that makes it a lot more space saving for business owners as well. So you don't have to worry about you know, having giant towers next to your, your computer desks, which can be unsightly with all the cords sticking out. Yeah. You know, we can just mount this on the back of your monitor and you're done. And we just plug a few things in and you're good to go. There's nothing more that you need to do. Yeah, if you, and if you are a business out there and you still have the uh, the CRT monitors, the ones that look like the uh, the TVs from the 1980s, if you still have those um, at your business, uh, the flat screen monitors now will pay for themselves in less than a year and just savings on your electricity bill alone. And that's even um, in a city like San Antonio here where our electricity utility rates are pretty affordable. Yeah. Um, if you're in a, a higher utility cost uh, area, those monitors will pay for themselves immediately. So this is one where as a, a business, um, sometimes you've got to spend a little bit of money to make money. And uh, this one, you can spend a little bit of money to not only maybe make money, but make yourself safer at the same time as well. So going through with these these hackers are uh, now going after firmware and you said that like well i mean i can reformat my computer i can reinstall and it still uh just reinfects itself again right away uh, so what if i i have one of these attacks in my business do i really have to throw my hardware out or is there um, some ways to to go in and and update drivers to to refresh these things um, or even to find out like is it safe for me to reinstall uh, right now so at the firmware level the best thing that you can do is to reflash your firmware and flashing just means you know installing it uh, it's a different installation process but you're basically clearing the old one and adding a new one on top of it um, but the thing is that you're not sure how that uh, malicious firmware got onto your firmware in the first place. 
And if you don't know the attack vectors, how can you defend against it? You're just going to have to go ahead and reflash it over and over and over again. And that's a problem because if you don't know how to do it in the first place, you can actually brick your motherboard. And if your motherboard doesn't work, your computer will no longer work. Now you have a much larger expense because now I have to go ahead and buy a whole new system. And this could potentially happen again because malicious uh, well, malware can get into the firmware from the operating system level. If you can update your BIOS, uh, which is the firmware, uh, or your UEFI from Windows or from Linux, that means somebody can install something from your operating system into your firmware. And that is something that you need to protect against. And this is something that no one else is really doing in the market, and we have a solution for it. So uh, you're talking about securing firmware for computer operating systems and the, the, the computer hardware that runs under a normal computer operating system. Uh, so uh, before the break, and if you missed it, you can uh, catch us on iTunes or uh, you can catch us on www.cybertalkradio uh, when we post the archives the Tuesday after the show. Uh, Omar had mentioned uh, this uh, denial of service attack that uh, came from the Internet of Things cameras, and these cameras have firmware in them. So uh, if I'm, I'm at my house right now, you guys are going to write some security software solutions for uh, my computer potentially, but... There's all sorts of firmware all over the place. Um, it sounds like I should be patching and updating and testing these things. Uh, it, is there, a, I guess, a, a way that to scan or other scanning tools out there to see what's going on in my world? Like, how do I, I find out if I've got firmware problems? That's a really good question. How do you find out if you have firmware problems? The way I would go about it was I would, I would be using PFSense. So I would be monitoring the traffic within my own network, some sort of monitoring tool on the network. And even if you have everything turned off, you're still sending messages because your firmware is still on. It's still plugged in and it's still sending messages outwards. You don't really know where those are going unless you look at the packets themselves and, and see where the destination is. But they're being sent out and there's actually a it's not really a vulnerability but for intel it's a feature uh, and that is consistently having like a heartbeat for intel cpus and basically sending that out back to intel headquarters and as an average user you're not told specifically like that's happening but it is and this is something I learned by listening to Steve Gibson on securing the Security Now podcast. Uh, they go like deep into like the security pieces and and start talk, even going down as as far as assembly code and and how hard drives work. But he was talking about how there is this sort of heartbeat that every single Intel platform sends out. So if you have an Intel computer at home, that thing is sending out messages, and you don't know what those messages are but they're not malicious in any sort of way. It's just, hey, this computer is plugged into, uh, this is an Intel computer and it's plugged into a network, what we do, right? But it, it provides a way in to that computer even though it's off. So the computer is still running and, well, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say computer because that's kind of general. What I mean is the computer is plugged into the wall, but the operating system is not on, the hard drive is not running, the fans are not going. 
you think it's a, in a power off state, but your firmware is still working. It's still alive. It's still keeping time and still getting power through it, but it's very minimal, just enough for it to be able to send out these packets, send out these little bits of information out to an outside party. Yeah, the wake on LAN feature. This is yeah, yes. where your computer can be asleep until somebody tries to talk to it, and then it powers itself back on, and That's it right. will, will actually start communicating. Yeah, and I've 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 seen that with the the computer I have at home, which is you know I'll turn it off and I'll wake up the next morning and it's on, and I'm yeah. like, well, I didn't turn it on. That that's kind of strange. That shouldn't have happened, but I don't know why that happened, and I don't necessarily have. Well, I shouldn't say this because someone's going to be like, oh, he's not monitoring his network. Excellent. Uh, but I don't necessarily have yet a monitoring system on my own network to see, like, you know, what's going on. Yeah. And there, this is a great challenge. I, I really want people who do have, like, network monitoring software for their own home network. Turn it on and then go on vacation for a week. Turn everything off in your home, but leave your monitoring software on and just let it catalog everything come back and see how much traffic had gone in and out of your home even though all your systems are still down yeah so how do you see what's going on with the firmware so like monitoring like turn off all the noise turn off all the things you think could be creating stuff and you still see traffic on your network with a packet capturing monitoring software yeah then you need to find out what's talking and that could be the firmware on some of your devices so that's some uh, interesting stuff coming out of San Antonio's cybersecurity community. Some very interesting innovation. If you wanted to uh, learn more about what DefLogix is doing, um, there's the power of Google or Bing if you choose that one. It's a D-E-F-L-O-G-I-X. Yeah, so you can come visit us at def-logix.com, deflogix.com, um, and also do a Google search, DefLogix, San Antonio, Texas. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for uh, joining us this week, Omar. And it was a great talking to you, learning more about the CyberDef Dojo, uh, about the security engagement series and what small business owners can do to keep themselves uh, safer online and uh, learn some security awareness for their business. And then uh, also where this next wave of attacks is headed from the operating system down into the uh, deep, dark firmware underneath. That's right. Security is team sports. So we all have to get involved and we all have to get, be a part of this conversation. So that's why I'm very thankful that CyberTalk Radio exists and that you guys are providing the service to people here, anyone who wants to listen to this online. Yeah. So where can, they, where can they find this one more time online? So if you're uh, starting off 2017 and want to become aware, you can listen to our archives on iTunes or Pocket Cast. You can find us uh, on the internet at www.cybertalkradio.com. If you're thinking about getting involved with the CyberDef Dojo, there's another great online resource that's brought to you by our federal government uh, to help you learn about cybersecurity, both in just education overall and threats that are current for folks. Uh, this is the United States Computer Emergency Readiness Team. It's us-cert.gov. Um, and it started back um, almost 15 years ago now. The uh, government was noticing uh, just a huge number of uh, cyber breaches and threats and, and saw this, uh, what many folks would consider kind of quite early on. 
Um, they've uh, evolved this program uh, over the course of the last 15 plus years now um, to where they provide uh, great online educational resources through that website. Um, they also provide a, a real-time uh, threat feed uh, on their Twitter account. Um, it's a US cert underscore gov. Uh, and there you can follow that and you'll see uh, as uh, different uh, vulnerabilities are, are published, um, they uh, do a good job of going through, um, analyzing. They've got a, teams of professionals that go through and analyze those vulnerabilities. And uh, from that analysis, they write um, incident reports that are um, something that any business professional can understand. So you don't need to be a cybersecurity expert to uh, follow them on Twitter or to uh, subscribe to the newsletter, email newsletters, um, email uh, threat uh, alert messages as well. They have a, a handful of different mailing lists you can uh, join there. And it's one of the resources I highly recommend. Uh, we have uh, should probably spend a little bit more time even talking about it on the program than we do because uh, this is a, a great place for everyone to go and get started. There's uh, no reason um, that if you're out there and uh, you're running a business that uh, someone at your company should not, uh, at least one person should be subscribed to that alert list so that you see the vulnerabilities uh, and you can help keep your business data and your customer data safe. You're listening to 1200 WAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio.